0: Welcome everyone to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. Uh, we are here on an audio-only experience today uh, because someone doesn't want to do videos anymore.
1: Videos are so <laughs> twenty twenty. Nobody I'm wants sh- videos anymore again. YouTube is true. dying. They're they're a fad, like zippers and the internet.
0: Mm, yeah, both both those things I don't use anymore.
1: Yeah, Velcro, zippers, the internet, video.
0: Okay, you can't go after Velcros.
1: All right, uh, when I said Velcros, I meant fidget spinners.
0: Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Those are okay. I don't I'd never liked them anyways. Yeah, really I never wish really I had mine again. right now to spin, but...
1: <laughs> but I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, fine. I'm fine. I could I'm fine. stop anytime. Yeah, you, you, y'all got a little bit of that fidget spinner? <laughs> But yes, yeah, so this is going to be lovely because now, if I'm having a bad hair day, I don't have to worry about it. Uh, but most importantly, my laptop will not be trying to take flight every single time I record, which is mm. what was happening before. So now, any background noise, I can't even blame on just, oh, we're doing video and my laptop can't handle it. It'll just be, I live in a, a loud place, which will, of course, lead to accusations of, well, then, why don't you move? So, I really can't win, all things considered.
0: There's only one way to win and that's to move.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I shouldn't have brought this up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You wouldn't have to, if you just move. Uh, speaking of moving,
1: I've been moving any,
0: any things that
1: moved you, any wholesome things? Well, I did have some wholesome things. I was actually gonna say I've been moving and that's been working well with this whole sticking to my diet thing. Mm. Um, So I'll get into the details of it in the do-better section, but I can just say in general, there are some factors I can't fully tease apart as far as, you know, there's uh, types of food have been introduced and removed. So it's not like I can just say that's why I feel good, like it's less calories, but having lost some weight, not even a lot, um, I just feel really good. Uh, So that's nice because... Feeling good is a good thing, but <laughs> but I did have a few interesting and wholesome things. Uh, one of them that is interesting is actually this app called Macrofactor. So these guys who run the Stronger by Science website and podcast, they've been working on this app they've been talking about for a while, and I figured, ah, I'm not going to use it, and then they just happened to release it exactly when I decided to start tracking my macros again. I had been using MyFitnessPal again after not using it for years, uh, apparently since sometime in 2019. Uh, I'd been using it for like three days, and then they had their Macro Factor launch party. So it's like, okay, I'll tune in. And it has a seven-day free trial, so I signed up for it. And it's really good. So I've been having a fun time with that. Uh, as, if you get it for the year, and especially because they're doing their initial launch promotion, uh, it's like not a price I was worried about. Plus, it feels good supporting those guys that have done so much free content. And I actually listen to their podcast all the time and always look forward to it. So if you like fitness podcasts, they're probably my favorite. But uh, yeah, this app's been great. And one of the other fitness people who's actually from Canada, Jeff Nippard. Apparently he was involved with it somehow. And he's one of my favorite fitness people. And he posted about it a couple days ago. And yeah, I had no idea he was involved, but pretty cool. A bunch of people I respect and like uh, were involved with this app. And I can confirm it has, at least so far, been a great experience. So if you're looking for a macro tracking app, I would recommend checking it out. Let's see what else I have. Do you know by any chance if they, like, contracted a Canadian company to do it, the app, for them? (laughs) They did not. They worked with two developers, one named Corey, one named Rebecca. And this was actually dev-driven. So the devs reached out to Greg from Stronger by Science. And they were like, hey, we have this idea for an app. And I think it would fill a gap that other apps don't fill. And he was like, all right, well go build a prototype or something and then show me. Cause apparently this happens a lot where people just propose things and expect him to do a bunch of work. And then a few months later, they came back, like here's like an idea of what we had in mind. And he looked at it and went, this is shockingly good. Let's, <laughs> let's make this good. So essentially they did all the development work and then he and Eric did the work to make it smart. Cause it does um, calorie co- uh, estimates based on a, an initial onboarding questionnaire and then adjust based on what you put in and how much how your weight changes over time. So it's, it's good. It's meant to be a sort of diet coaching type of app, uh, but I'm particularly interested in using it for when I try to maintain weight because it tends to be the most difficult part for me. Losing is easy. Just eat less, kind of be hungry all the time, and you get lighter and do the opposite when you want to get bigger. But just hanging out at a good weight, it's pretty tough. So I'm looking forward to using it for that and the other thing i had i've mentioned the huberman, huberman lab podcast before and a couple days ago he put out andrew huberman hosts it he put out a podcast on dopamine and normally i tend to think that dopamine is one of those like granola girl woo woo things and people just get really into it and think it's super important but it's it's not and I'm also some not the type of person who goes like, oh, that is so me when I hear somebody describe something. Like I know people who will listen to a podcast on ADHD and just be like, oh, I, oh I'm so ADHD. It's like, well, you're, you're not though. But this, this podcast, he's describing stuff. And I was like, this is exactly the sorts of issues I've been dealing with where, for example, he gives exact examples where one of them is, say that you used to like going to the gym And now you go to the gym and you just don't feel that happy about being there. You're just there and you're just going through the motions. Uh, And he's describing how you shouldn't combine a bunch of dopamine inducing activities or habits into one thing and how it creates a higher peak in dopamine and then a larger crash that winds up stabilizing at a lower overall level, which results in less interest and motivation to do other things. I was like, well, I've basically been struggling with this for a few months, where I'm just kind of like, yeah, I just I don't know what to do. And part of it's due to a lack of things to do, um, and part of it I think is also the fact that I wake up in the morning, play some video games, which is fun. During the summer, I take pre-workout, and I usually don't during the winter, because uh, it's harder for me to sleep in the summer. So I take caffeine and get all hyped up, go to the gym, and then I'm pretty much just bored the rest of the day. <laughs> so it's like that's I basically start my day at like the best point and stack them all together. And that's probably not ideal for uh, this whole, si- the, it's a two and a half hour podcast, so I can't really summarize. I think it's that long, it's pretty long. I can't summarize it all super concisely, but the point is he described a lot of stuff that I went, oh yeah, I can see, I can see how I may have led myself down a, a bad road there. Um, so instead of using it as a, a coping mechanism, uh, which I have been for a couple years, uh, I am going to try to spread these things out a little bit and be like, mm-hmm. all right, let's, because uh, this was never a problem before when I had other things going on. I was like going climbing and going to the gym. It was easier to take days off from the gym. Um, but if I do things like, actually, I'll get to it in the do better seg- section where I actually say how I'm going to action this. Damn. But point is, it was an interesting podcast. And
0: yeah, I'm going to listen to this. I recommended it. Some of, some of just that one example. I was like, yes. Yeah. Cause I'm also a morning gym goer. Yeah. And then after my cold shower, I'm like, yeah, life's good. I eat a great meal. I start yeah. work and then by 12, I'm just like, when will I ever be happy?
1: Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> that's pretty much been my day and it was never a problem until <laughs> mid 2020 when kind of like everything had dropped off. I was like, this is all I have to look forward to. And that, and I've mentioned it before if not on the show, then at least to you, how the gym totally became a coping mechanism. And then I just started squeezing more and more out of it, where I was like, this is going to be the best part of my day every day. And uh, now it's now it's lost its luster, so I need to fix it. You know, that.
0: just like two weeks ago, maybe I had existential crisis and you're just giving
1: me another one. Uh, so I'm going <laughs> yes, to listen to
0: this again. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, I, I kept it downloaded because I will be listening to it a second time. Mm. Uh, ironically one of the things he said was uh, you can stop listening to like music and podcasts at the gym while I'm listening to his podcast (laughs) at the gym (laughs) so yeah there are are actions to be taken but my wholesome recommendation Mm. for the week uh, this will also be actually related to some do better stuff but I was watching a bunch of videos about how to make sushi
0: Mm.
1: and one of them was by this guy the channel is called fortune cooking How to make simple sushi. And the one of the top comments was, this guy's voice makes me so happy and I don't know why. And it's basically, yeah, this guy just sounds so jolly about the fact that he's making sushi. And he sounds excited about it all. And it's just this simple video. There's nothing else other than he just makes sushi. You don't even see his face. But I don't know, at the end of it, I just felt so good. So I thought that's a good, wholesome choice for this mm-hmm. week's Wholesome Recommendation. And that means I can still, without going directly into my Wholesome Choice, I can still recommend a music-related thing, which is uh, today, the day of recording, uh, Lindsay Sterling put out another video, so I will include that as a recommendation because nice. uh, Lindsay's always great. What about you? What stuff do you have going on?
0: Um, all right, the first thing is the stuff that both of us going on, that Kay. I pinged you about last week. What was that? Um, we have crossed over four hundred and twenty plays. Oh
1: yeah, blaze it! <sighs> what? Yeah.
0: Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I can do more because it's an audio recording, and people who are listening to this are the ones the reason we have over four twenty plays.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, plays it. Uh, it's like oh no, blaze plus play. Uh, you all can drop out now. It's okay. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: <laughs> but I was very happy and excited because. No, we, around last year, this time, we were just building up a backlog. We weren't even releasing. Um, And uh, yeah, and it was just this thing we were doing and had no expectations. Still don't because we aren't famous at all (laughs) by any definition, but it's still nice to know there's a small community of developers, some like actual followers on Instagram who are not bots. Uh, like in the comment like 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 in some of the posts. Uh, and yeah, just like people listening to us talk. So that's been that's been nice.
1: Uh, weird.
0: Yeah, it's weird, but very we're very, very celebrities now. Thanks to you guys oh. whoever you are. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I have nothing to add to that.
0: Cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then okay, and then I found this workout API. Apparently some place in Germany runs it, hosts it. It's Oh, free that's why it use. has a weird name. Yes. Yeah. It's like W G E R or something. Uh, there are translations of the API, uh, and the web UI, I think. Um, uh, but something about like, you can get random workouts. There's whatever you need, like nutrition or whatever. Um, so I was just searching. There's a bunch of like public APIs where you can get like nutritional information about foods and stuff too, if you wanted to. Uh, build an app around that. Uh, so looked pretty cool. I was pretty happy about it. Uh, I stumbled upon it because I was looking for like existing APIs about like if they had them categorized according to like body weight or certain situations. Um, but none of that existed. It was just like, here's sort of workouts. There was also one API that pretty much just like web bodybuilding.com, which I don't think it was even legal. <laughs> uh, so I wasn't gonna look at that one. <laughs> um, but it was cool uh, to know that there's lots of so much public information and APIs just running. all you got to do is generate a free API key and you can even host and log your own like workouts. So I wonder how many apps out there use it as their backend.
1: Yeah, hard to say.
0: Yeah, so that was that was pretty neat. I, I did like that. Uh, there is an app I'm sort of working towards, so that'll be useful there. Uh, but not this API, but, what I wanted to look for wasn't already out in the market, which is good. That means I can build something of value. Uh, so I'm going to be working on that. Um, and then two cool things about Ruby.
1: Oh I my know. goodness.
0: Pause, gasp. You should, uh, yeah,
1: yeah. You, you should have warned me. I'm already sitting down, luckily, but mm. that was very inconsiderate. <laughs> <laughs> Just,
0: I, I apologize, but... It, and it might have the same impact, uh, if I, even if I say it again, but two good and cool things about Ruby.
1: Okay, all right. Upcoming. I'm uh,
0: one thing that happened two weeks ago, but I forgot about it until today, because today's when my PR got through. Uh, because me and my senior dev both forgot about it mm-hmm. until today when we were doing something. He's like, hey, did you do this work? And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, let's merge this. This is great. Uh, <laughs> but there's this, uh, there's a retry keyword built into Ruby. So if you had a try, catch, exception block and you wanted to exponentially back off, no need to get additional libraries or anything. You just literally say retry and it'll retry the whole... Uh, catch block or the try block. Um, and I just thought that was really neat. That was really cool that the language gives you that because language is like, we're so broken. You're probably going to want to retry things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there you go. Just shaving Ruby again, uh, old but... backhanded compliment. <laughs> and then the second thing I found that was really cool was there's this thing called server spec which is built on top of their RSpec, which is their testing. Uh, But server spec is like built for the DevOps world. So when you run it on machines, you can say, hey, does this machine have the right OS family? Uh, Does running this command give the right output? Uh, So basically, if you had a bunch of Ansible or Chef scripts running, uh, you could run this RSpec to verify things went successfully, even though I don't know why you would do that because Ansible and Chef, all those orchestrators come with their things to check. Uh, but if you wanted to, you know, just because you're crazy or you have, you'll have, you just love Ruby, so you're like, you know, once this script is done, once all the yamling is over with, I'm going to run some Ruby code on a regular basis and then install if something's not correct, which is not the point of service spec. It'll just straight up fail and just be like, nope, this doesn't have this. And then you're like, oh, can you, can you do something about it? It's like, no.
1: Um, both of your cool recommendations are quickly becoming <laughs> not cool. or interesting.
0: <laughs> I, I thought it was, see, it's one of those things which don't exist in the ops world very much. So you, you like when these things exist. Uh, so like, so cause in Python, I remember when I was doing exponential backoff, I had to implement my own thing if I didn't just use a pre-made library. Um, uh, but in Ruby, all I had to do was, check the retry count and retry until the count condition is met. And that's it one Mm -hmm. variable and to keep track of. Um, and yeah, the service spec, it'll probably help me eliminate a lot of bash scripting that goes around. And if I can write it in a Ruby format, maybe developers are more likely to touch it than a bunch of bash scripts because developers don't like that. Uh, devs, even DevOps people don't like it.
1: Yeah, you can't be having blocks that start with if and end with fi. It just it doesn't make any sense. It's we, can't, we can't we can't handle it as developers.
0: Yeah, and if you put a space before or after the equal sign, it won't evaluate the expression. So
1: good luck. It's with too formatting. hard. Yeah, yeah, it's too, we can't handle it. Our brains don't work that way.
0: Yeah, everything's a global variable unless you prefix it with local, uh, and. And you can't refer to other files in the bash script uh, or like other bash scripts as like common, reusable functions. So have fun duplicating everything. Uh, So yeah, seeing something like server spec was really cool today. I learned a new thing and it made me happy.
1: All right, fair enough. So it exists, not sure why, but it exists.
0: It exists, I like, I guess if you're not doing Ansible stuff, you know, because you could install things with it and verify that things were done properly, you know, but then what I am hoping I can use more it for is alerts, uh, cause it'll be easier to hook up slack notifications stuff on a Ruby package than it would be with bash. So it'll just go in, run things cause I will also be building utilities that installs things. So I can just be like, all right, install thing, run the spec for it, install this, run the spec for it. And if any the time something bad happens, send me an alert and do whatever you're doing. Instead of right. checking bash and like doing, okay, if net bridge, grab the output, find right. the right IP address, you know?
1: Right. So it's uh, more like the unit test version of a health check.
0: 100% it is. And, and it's easier to do health checks when you're just like, Spin up the API and hit the slash health endpoint and see things are good. It's harder when you're like, there's 20 microservices running on this machine. Is everything okay? And there's custom packages and the subnet needs to be configured a certain way. You, you devs don't think about that stuff. Y'all are just like, yeah, I'm going to throw my Docker container. It'll work. You know who makes it work? Ops people, they need those tests.
1: Yeah, actually I, I wonder frequently how any of it works. (laughs) (laughs) It's part of my concern and part of the things I've been trying to learn for a long time.
0: Yeah. I can, I can tell you with confidence, the more you learn, the more that question is going to become increasingly worrying. The more I've learned about the internet and how how everything works (laughs) and just like, how does any of it work? None of it should be working. (laughs) There's probably, like, some open source library some poor guy has been maintaining since, like, the late 90s uh, that's, like, running half the internet infrastructure.
1: Well, let's hope he doesn't pull a left pad and remove it because we need it. That's true. Speaking of which, Mm. again, have you heard about the JavaScript ecosystem and how much of a mess it is?
0: I don't and how know. how some
1: guy, this one time, removed a library called LeftPad from NPM and broke pretty much everything.
0: I do remember that.
1: So this is today's topic. Uh, mm. I just want to, it's not really informational, to be frankly honest with you. It's mostly just a bit of a rant and a bit of a opportunity to attempt to empathize with anybody who's gotten this far in the show mm. and who happens to have to maintain front-end projects. Because the JavaScript ecosystem is a pile of hot, hot garbage. And I am so glad I haven't had to look at it much over the last year. And I don't miss it at all. So let's let's just start from the most frustrating thing. I mean, we
0: started the episode with 20 minutes of rants. With five minutes of you actually saying wholesome things.
1: I look forward to an hour of ranting every week before and after the show and and then an hour of ranting during the show.
0: (laughs) This is the basis of our friendship. Exactly. So tell us the worst thing about JavaScript.
1: Well, no, no, Well, oh, the worst thing about JavaScript is probably the double (laughs) equals symbol. Uh, But the worst thing about the the JavaScript ecosystem, Mm. all right. So suppose you're like, I'm going to start up a new project i'm going to install everything i need to manage my packages all right so you you get yourself npm which comes with node and then it also this is where it already is weird because they claim that the package manager that comes with node that's called npm doesn't stand for node package manager but whatever that it is what it is so you type npm init and for some reason it generates a package.json file. And in that package.json file, there's just a bunch of metadata about your GitHub repo that you haven't made yet, uh, but you're going to, presumably. And so you'll link to like your issues page and you'll have who the maintainer is and the name of the repo and maybe a description, a bunch of scripts, which you will then execute with NPM And they'll probably eventually just become aliases for better, more properly written scripts. Like, uh, you know, you'll have make files that trigger the NPM scripts that run some third-party library. So it's all just layers of abstraction. But all of this is tied in, remember, with package management. Because that's what you actually did this for. So inside of this file that has nothing to do with all your packages, you have your dependencies list. And in that dependencies list is a non-deterministic list of all of your packages, which, for those who aren't keeping track at home, means that if you npm install with just that package.json, you will get something. And it might not be the same as what you got yesterday. It will install all the packages, but you don't know which versions. And you don't know if they'll play nicely together, even if they did yesterday, because It is is deterministic, uh, which I thought was something specific to JavaScript until I learned that apparently Python's requirements.txt does the same thing, which was disheartening. But.
0: But no, no.
1: That's what I was told like last week.
0: What if, because you, no, because, because isn't in Python you do equal as opposed to NPM where you do like weird squiggly symbols where you're like anything sort of matching this, give me it,
1: you, but with so Python,
0: you're like exact, I guess even for that version, if there's a new commit, it'll, it'll still pull that unless you lock yes. specific commits. Oh.
1: Yes, that's what I'm saying. But oh. point is that that gets, okay. to, that does, it does get to the point of you can now do package lock.json, mm. but then that introduces the fun of everybody on your team who doesn't understand how NPM works. Constantly regenerate your package lock, which means that every other commit, every other PR you review, just has a package.json or package-lock.json in it for no reason. Not to mention, somebody's going to accidentally run npm install in the project root every couple weeks, which generates a package.json for some reason. So you end up with a package.json that's very empty in the root of your project repeatedly, when all you want is the one in the app directory. Also, if you have multiple apps inside of your application or inside of your repo, inside of your project, each one needs its own package.json so it can run NPM scripts, which you manage individually, which you then have to then make sure that you're not overwriting the dependencies that you had listed in some sort of shared package.json file. And this is all happening because it's all tied together in with the dependencies, which it really shouldn't be. So that's frustrating. And then to make it even more fun is most uh, common libraries now will allow you to do like an ignore file or a config file or something. you usually be a JSON or a YAML or a dot .file, something. But because this was a pattern at one time, most of them still support putting configuration directly in your package.json file. And so, for example, you see a lot of husky configuration directly in the package package.json, uh, and I don't even know if they support another way of doing it, but you, husky is for managing your pre and post git hooks. So if you wanna run something as part of your git hooks, like a linting command or something before people push up, or you wanna format code, when it's being pushed. You can use husky. But now you have configuration in next to your dependencies, which again are non-deterministic. So maybe your configuration was working and then suddenly it's not even though none of the files in the project have changed at all. So it just, the fact that someone, and I know he regrets it because I watched a talk or read an article or something many years ago about being like why this was a bad idea. And clearly it is. But having had a chance to step away from it, it just it blows my mind that this was ever a thing that's that became popular. It's like just separate your concerns. We don't need dependencies tied in with your scripts, tied in with your repository name and your issues link and everything.
0: Yeah. I remember when I hadn't really learned what package lock.json is for. Uh there was something, some project I was on, or something I was looking at initially in my career where we didn't commit package lockjson Because they were just like, well, it changes every time you run npm install. It's really <laughs> long. It's easy to gen- regenerate. So who cares? <laughs> um, and, Perfect. And until npm CI came into existence,
1: yeah, good old npm 6.
0: Yeah. There was still, like, there was no point of using package lock because there was never like hey install from package lock.json instead of package.json there was no other command there was nothing so every time you built docker images you did whatever you did npm install always and there's no check within npm to just be like hey is there if there's a lock i should use that if not i'll fall back to package.json um which is so apparent I don't know how it's under the hood, but it's so bad that they had to be like, here's an additional command. If you want to use package lock or else you can't, uh, yeah.
1: which is kind of crazy because it's a, it was a full semantic version change. There like, is a new major version. You'd think they could just rename stuff. I mean, I haven't adjusted to the fact that my Git CLI has changed from whatever the unstaged command used to be to Git restore dash dash staged dot to clear everything I have staged. It used to be something else that like, I have in muscle memory but I don't have in my brain. Get and stash? No, 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 not stash, but like if you have something staged for commit and you oh. want to unstage it, I don't even remember what the command was but oh, my hands remember. get remembered. reset? No, that's if you want to restore, like remove the latest commit. Um, but there was, there was a command, okay. like, I, I okay. don't remember what it was, but it wasn't get restore. But point my whole, my whole point of mentioning that was just because they totally changed it. Like the old command does not work anymore. Hmm. And NPM was still like, nah, we'll just make a new, new Cause command. Cause that's
0: the JavaScript curse. You can't change what has happened. This yeah. is why JavaScript that... is such a mess.
1: Well, see, and that's the thing it's job. Java... You can do that with JavaScript, but if you're working with another Front-end library. There's no reason to follow JavaScript rules just because you're building a package management tool, <laughs> f- commonly used by people who write JavaScript. That doesn't mean you have to follow the rules of JavaScript.
0: You do. You do you gotta gotta can't abandon your your tribe. Your tribe of <laughs> JS developers also used to things never changing always backwards
1: compatible. Well, but also always changing because that's what yes. the package lock JSON was for. And then, so point is basically NPM was so, was considered to be so slow. Like it solved a problem initially and people that's why people used it. Like, oh, we need to manage our packages. This is great. And then they're like, wait, it's really slow. And it's also non-deterministic. And there were all these articles a few years ago about how bad it was and people started using yarn because yarn was faster and it had a yarn lock file and you didn't have to type run before every command because npm run, whatever the script is. Uh, Unless
0: you you do npm start, I think.
1: There are baked in npm commands that work out of the box. Yeah. You don't have to type run for, but yes, that's otherwise you have to type run and then your custom command name and yarn was different. And fortunately not everybody moved to yarn because that would have been confusing, uh, at least for me, because usually a pr- the way that you start a YARN uh, repository, at least at that time, w- or a YARN project, was npm install yarn, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I forget exactly what the the tweet was, but I saw a tweet that was something like, uh, npm install yarn feels like uh, calling my ex on my girlfriend's phone. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was like, yeah, you're not wrong, but. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I imagine when I, I remember when I was building uh, Docker images and I always had this thing of like, must use Alpine, always. Uh, so every time I would start with the Node.js Alpine image, I'm like, all right, first thing, NPM install
1: yarn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, so I don't miss that. Parcel was apparently a thing for a Hot Minute, and I never had to learn that, which is yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, That's the point I'm at now, where I'm like, I'm glad I didn't have to learn this thing because it was going to change anyway. It's the front end ecosystem. And so the whole thing with these packages as well is that you're essentially, I think, I'm speculating here, but I feel like it's more so than other ecosystems. You're very much at the whims of like one guy to maintain a package and so you're using some calendar app that your entire calendar system is built on and then they decide that they're done with it and I just imagine how many people are probably still trying to migrate out of Redux forms which was like a bad idea when it was made and now we've gone multiple years since I think the guy's name is Jared put up a thing that's just like, stop using this, I've made this other repo, I've made this other package from form management, it's called final form, use that instead, just don't use this. And uh, people are still using it because it's hard to move away from stuff, but you're really just relying on random people. And then you try to upgrade, and nobody knows what you've decided to use because there's 4,000 versions of everything. So it's not like they can say, yeah, if you upgrade from my calendar app version 1 to version 2, it'll still work with some other pro- uh, dependency you chose uh, that you're using for like time zone conversion. Uh, and when you bring that up to version 4 from version 3.6, like nobody has any idea. And so every time you try to upgrade a project, it's, it's a multi-day uh, process of just being like, build, how broken is the app? Let's now go back in and try to fix it. And I don't have a better solution, but I just feel like the way that people go about adding packages sort of culturally in the front end space is probably worse than some other areas. Again, yeah. speculating.
0: I also remember my least favorite part of testing that was every time I do NPM update with the new package, I have to destroy my entire like uh, cache, NPM modules. I just nuke NPM node modules always because uh, you don't know. Maybe there's stuff sitting there in the cache or some other weird build in a half state where it'll look like it works in your local and then you push and it doesn't. So anytime you update a minor package, clean slate, wait for the node modules to kick in again, wait for your computer to turn into a rocket ship and fly off.
1: <laughs> and then
0: once it's all done, run your NPM build, wait thirty minutes for Webpack to finish, and
1: then you're dead. Yeah, we'll get to Webpack in a second. But yep. I uh, I wanted to um I wanted to mention my favorite thing that everybody who's or every product owner likes to point out. Like oh we're gonna update all the packages. Good thing we have all these Cypress tests. Like none of these are gonna pass. Just a heads up. Just so just so you know, the UI might be completely functional, but I guarantee you the structure of all of the DOM elements has changed just enough that none of the tests will pass. Uh, y- you update like your form component library, maybe all they did was rename the structure of their IDs. It used to be prefixed with their library name, now it's prefixed with some other thing, and now all your tests fail. It doesn't tell you anything. You can't build based on, or you can't um, upgrade your packages based on your your automation tests, because they're going to be just as brittle as everything else. So you just have to manually test it. So it's just, it's just a mess. And that's a front end problem. That's not a uh, package management problem. But it's just another thing that I've seen happen multiple times where somebody who's not working on the front end team is like, well, we have all these tests. I'm like, yeah, you made me write these tests. I told you they were pointless when I wrote them. And now I'm trying to upgrade and they're all failing. And guess what? If you use the app right now, you can do most of that functionality. It'll just look very bad. Or sometimes it'll look fine. It looks exactly the same, but just the way they've structured the DOM elements has changed. They mount somewhere else. They mount in the top left corner. It's a zero by zero pixel. And for some reason, that's where the dropdown is located. Why? I don't know. Ask it design. It's just the way it is. So yeah,
0: yeah definitely this, is like, no this is like
1: four years of catharsis right here. Yeah. <laughs>
0: who, who needs therapy when you have a podcast? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so webpack Oof, okay. I don't even have as many specific things to say about webpack other than just it's hard Like it's hard and it's such a pain to test because it takes, I have things because it takes so long To reach try everything mm-hmm. um, I think the reason why I'm less Directly frustrated with webpack is I learned to use webpack in webpack one and two and It was still very hands-on at that point point a it there wasn't much of the like common patterns and abstraction taken away at that quite yet. And then as I got to the point, or as I, as they got to the point where they'd released Webpack 4, I was not having to touch those config files as much anymore. So when I did have to touch them, it was go to the docs, update the small thing based on what they said you had to do. And it usually worked out okay. But I understand that, That's not generally the experience of someone who has to start from scratch on a Webpack file, but when I was doing it, it's so outdated that it's hard for me to even say anything specifically about uh, the pains of Webpack today.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I have, I have all this like bad memories from trying to optimize the builds because that's my thing. I, I need performance. I need the minuscule microsecond I can get out of anything so that things that I'm building are fast and responsive and scalable. Uh, and Webpack just gave, just didn't give me any freedom, whatever I needed. Uh, and the docs didn't help and everything else was just basically like, type these few things, add these few things into a config and then you're done. All you have to do is sit there for 40 minutes while it figures itself out, does the dependency management, shoves everything into one large file, and then give you a warning saying, Hey, this file is pretty big, you should do something about it. (laughs) It's like, I want to, you're not giving me enough information to figure this out.
1: Yeah. So for those who don't know, Webpack was a replacement for the old build pipelines, like Gulp and Grunt. Hmm. And so all it really does is it bundles. That's really all it's for. Webpack just knows how to bundle stuff. Uh, and then you're responsible for choosing and configuring all the plugins. So if you want to uglify and minify and make different versions for different environments, that's all up to you and configuring the plugins. Webpack doesn't really have an opinion, but you have to do it all through Webpack. So even if the plugin is bad, it makes you feel frustrated <laughs> with Webpack because it's the one that's giving you, like you said, the error that says, by the way, Yeah. This is a real big file. Uh, (laughs) we it's, we've made it red just so you can see.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it's the whole Webpack ecosystem. Yes. As a transpiler, it's nice. It's, it's you look at it and you're like, okay, it took all this higher level JS I wrote and turned it into vanilla. Good for it. What a (laughs) nice little utility that takes away all the white space. And so, turns my weird JavaScript or my readable JavaScript into unreadable mess that works.
1: If if I remember correctly, it's some kid in Australia, like some young kid in Australia, made the first version of Babel, which is what actually does the mm-hmm. transpiling. So uh, basically do better, everybody else. Yeah. It's, it's pretty impressive. <laughs> For a kid
0: in Australia, you said?
1: Yeah. So he wasn't even at the beach. He was at home yeah. in Babel.
0: He was done fighting crocodiles. So he's Did just I... like, I'm just going to do this. Are you thinking of Florida? No, no. Oh yeah. Uh, sharks. Sorry. That's what I was going to say <laughs> yeah. he <was> tired of <laughs> fighting sharks. He was typing this up as he was petting his spider and slurping on a Tim Tam jam or whatever it's called. Um, uh, But yeah, he he was just, you know, marmalading it up and coding. (laughs) And good for that kid. But but yeah, I was just really frustrated because one of the things I love and hold dear to me is multi-threading. You know what's really hard to do in Webpack? Parallel processing, which in theory, it shouldn't be. All it's doing is transpiling a bunch of JavaScript in different files and putting them into one. I should have an option to just be like, all right, take each directory, transpile that into its own JS and in the main entry point, just add them all as imports or take a, I should be able to define a set of criteria of saying this much code can be coupled into one area and go process all of these individually. And then you can spin up 10 threads because bigger apps will have tons of components, spin it all up, turn it all into code. Maybe there is some duplication who cares once it's all in the browser it's all a mess anyways but at least things will be served and delivered faster cuz your browser can make parallel requests and things can work faster but no wow. it was so hard so freaking hard to find how to parallelize it properly and when i successfully achieved it uh not even like in the best way it was just like okay it's slightly better than it needed all the cores and cpus Cause when I spun up my pod to build it, the pod would die. It'll just be like, Hey, this is asking for way too much CPU. So now you have to find out a way to either limit it or just basically be like, yes, for this simple web app that uploads data and searches things, let's give you a 16 CPU core <laughs> just so you can like build this.
1: Right. So that's why you run a setup pod. <laughs> and then you, then you mount it, copy <laughs> over and then kill it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I hated it. <laughs> I, I hated it so much. And it's like, and if the static files aren't the way you want them, then you have to like think about, okay, what's the, this is now moving a little away from Webpack, um, uh, because one of the things I loved and hated, uh, was. Completely blanking out on the web server that's so famous with Node. Um, it's like it's like built in. It's meant to serve single page or whatever. It's it's supposed to be a web server. If you don't know how to nginx or Apache, mm. uh, like you. the like the OG people, uh, so you can do that, which I thought was really handy because all you have to do is say, "Hey, this is my app. Web serve this," and it's able to like have multi threading, different it does what a normal web server would do. And it'll just make a bunch of copies, different runtime environments of node, and it'll serve it through that more resource usage, but at least it's better than single threaded node process, trying to like serve your static files anxiously. (laughs) Uh, And then, yeah, the best thing is you just do multi-layered and you throw that all into front of Nginx and forget about deployment issues. But for people who don't know that it it felt really nice. I so wanted to give a small shout out to that. Not too big because they're not like doing any God's work, uh, but but good for them. If I can remember the name, I'll I'll throw it in the show notes. Sounds good. Yeah.
1: There was something I wanted to give credit to, and I forgot. But that's fine because it's not in the spirit of this episode. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hmm. Do you do you have anything else? Because I I I have a keyword that'll make you have more things if you are running out?
1: Uh, I'm sure I have more, but I have nothing top of mind. So what's your keyword?
0: Oh, uh, JavaScript for backend.
1: Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> you know how all of these things are essentially necessary because JavaScript is what runs in the browser. Cause yes. you know, Brendan Ike multiple decades ago was asked to write a language and it was supposed to look like Java, so Java people were happy, and it was gonna run more like Scheme or something like that because he liked Scheme. Well, that's how we got JavaScript, and now it runs in all the browsers. But it turns out, you might not know this, in other environments, you don't have to use JavaScript. So you know all these problems we've been complaining about, all this ecosystem stuff? You actually don't need to worry about any of that. You can choose to use a a much more sane language in other areas, like say a server. You could write like a Go server, uh, which has none of the baggage of decades of poor decisions. You could write Python, which can do breaking changes from Python two to three, instead of having a triple equal symbol. Uh, it's there are, there are other options is what I'm saying. And it doesn't need to even, like the Python you write doesn't actually ever compile to JavaScript because it turns out it doesn't have to run in the browser. So, it just boggles my mind that people went, Oh, we can run servers with JavaScript. Let's run servers with JavaScript. Like node became a thing. Everybody's just like, Oh, we'll just put JavaScript everywhere. And then there were all these people who went, I'm a front end developer. Now I'm a full stack developer. It's like, do you know anything about building an API? It's like, no, you just kind of know how to use JavaScript. You mostly know JSX. Why are you claiming that you now can write a, a back-end API? It's not like it's difficult, but if the language was the thing stopping you, then you're going to have a bad time because you're clearly just not thinking about this in the right way. Like if, Py, if learning Python or Ruby or Go or whatever the language is on the back-end, if that was your hurdle that was too high for you to start building a RESTful like CRUD endpoint, or even just like a get endpoint to see if your server is returning results. If, if that was too much, I don't want you maintaining my express app on the back end with your, especially if it's JavaScript, at least if it's typescript, there's some imaginary typing going on, but if it's in JavaScript and I can just get like undefined is not a function whenever it feels like I'm, I'm not impressed, choose a different language.
0: Yeah. I, I always love TypeScript. I, I mean, I don't like using it, but I like at some point people were just like, this madness is going on for too long. It needs some structure that the backend generally has. So there's like, here's some structure, but you can have the any keyword because you're a front end developer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And I I went through like six, six, seven months of hating TypeScript and it took me a long time to adjust to it. But for anyone who hasn't heard me say this before, which is most people who's listening to this episode if they've gotten this far, statistically speaking, uh, <laughs> it's a different language. TypeScript is not JavaScript. There's a lot of ways that I would have written JavaScript that does not look like TypeScript, and vice versa. So if you're looking at TypeScript as you know, choosing between TypeScript and JavaScript, think of them as different languages. I still don't think you should go with TypeScript to, if you are given the opportunity to not write a JavaScript runtime. But if you're going to, consider TypeScript because it does give you at least some constraints, especially if you're really strict about it. The guy who set up our front-end apps on my team, he basically just, when he set them up, turned everything up to 11 for strictness. So you can't do really anything without it yelling at you which is infuriating if you're used to writing React apps with JavaScript. But once you get used to building up interfaces for everything and thinking of it more as everything is an interface that is implemented in some particular way as opposed to everything's a function and we're just passing around dynamic variables. Uh, once you make that mental shift, then it's really nice because you go to type out something in your IDE and it's like auto-completing and giving you types and things, things work a bit better, but, uh, still, if, yeah, if you're looking at making a server and you're thinking, oh, I should use JavaScript, just learn, learn Python, (laughs) or if you're thinking I'm going to use TypeScript, just use go or Java. Even I don't care.
0: Hey, Java, if you like verboseness, I loved writing my web app in Java. It was fast.
1: That's what I'm saying. Like I, I haven't written a lot of Java, basically done like a couple of those you know, baby's first game, essentially, where it's like you make a thing that just a dot randomly moves around the screen and you just have to avoid it, that type of thing. And if you touch the thing, it's like game over. Like I've done that. So I have a little tiny idea of what's going on with Java. And I feel like if you're considering TypeScript and you want types and control over the data, Java might be a good alternative or go if you really want things to be uh, strict and you are okay with repeating yourself.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you get that speed. Yes. But either way, I, I, I don't care if like JavaScript was even in its runtime faster than Java by some miracle, still just don't use it. Just <laughs> keep it in the front end because you have no other choice. Wait for the day till someone is like, okay, here's a transpiler that turn, turns Python into JavaScript effectively uh, then maybe go look at that. But for now, just keep it in the front end, keep it away. There's a reason the world is divided amongst front end back end people. And then the DevOps people are in the corner eating glue and no one likes them, uh, or they're bullies depending on the context you're looking at. Uh, but yeah, just, yeah, just don't do it.
1: Yeah. I'm always scared to ask the ops people questions because they're usually the meanest
0: because they've seen I times, also man. consider
1: them to be like the, the smart people in the room. I'm just like, oh man, I have to ask them, and they're gonna give me back an answer that I'm not gonna understand any of the words in. I'm like, but Did you're you check, certified. Did you check this thing that I've, that you've never heard of? And I'm like, oh, I just wanted to know why my pods were down, and I thought you might know.
0: It's because you wrote bad code and you're a bad person.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's usually what it comes <laughs> down to. <laughs>
0: you killed the pod because it asked for three
1: more CPU than we assigned to it and now it's your fault. Now the truth of how it usually works out is I can't check what I'm trying to check to see what the problem is so I have to ask somebody with permission Mm -hmm. they tell me to go do that thing I'm not allowed to do and I say I'm not allowed to do that because I ran that command and it says permission denied and then they spend half an hour figuring out how to give me permission they gave me permission to do that thing I see that thing and then I find out oh, we just ran out of IPs on the cluster because you gave us a tiny dev cluster. And then they're like, oh, uh, well, we're, we'll put that in, can you make like a ticket, a request ticket to increase the cluster size? We'll get to that at some point in 2025. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> uh, so in the, in the meantime, I'll just tear down some of the other builds, don't worry about it. And yeah. I always just question myself, I'm like why did I spend the time interacting? Because
0: now you know. Uh, I don't know. <laughs>
1: It's almost as frustrating and useless as front-end ecosystems.
0: Yes. I mean, I'm very grateful React exists, but there were simpler times when I just had to be like, here's my HTML file. Here's a bunch of JS files and here's a bunch of CSS files. (laughs) One imports the other and things work and I'm okay with this. Um, or like server side rendering, I was working on a project where all the html pages whenever you send a request to the server the server will run it in the background do its back-end processing then template out of front-end and then send it back to you being like here here's your html page and you're like cool nothing's happening on the front end there's no state management nonsense it's just it's all backend."
1: yeah i was about to say i like as far as front end goes, I like React, I like underscore, a lot of those uh, utility libraries because they're fun. But I had a very frustrating day today fixing a front end bug. It was my first time looking at front end code in many months. And then I wound up having to dig through the implementation details of how we'd written these custom field components for Formic and be like, why are they ignoring Formic's data, or like Formic's opinions? And it turns out that they were configured to update their own value and then let Formic know. But when Formic told them what the value should be, they were just like, I already have an opinion on that and just ignore it. So that's why the reset button wasn't working. And I'm like, ah, I I wish this wasn't how code worked um, in the front end. Forms are unnecessarily difficult at times. But uh, I think that covers most of my yeah. my ranting.
0: Yeah, I can't. I can't think. I'm. Um, I can think of more things, but I don't think they're relevant or yeah. even valuable at this point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how valuable any of it was. That was the whole point. It was really just uh, catharsis and um, ranting.
0: Yeah, if any of you have some sort of empathy to any of that and you want to share your pain, tell us. We could honestly just invite you as a guest, and we can all rant together too. <laughs> We can bond over that. You could make your next best friend by just hating on JavaScript and then listen to a service, uh, sorry, a presentation called JavaScript for haters. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I stand by that presentation.
0: <laughs> you should.
1: Yeah. Uh, but anyway, again, tell me what you did better, what you're going to do better, mm. and then we'll wrap this thing up.
0: Okay. Well, this one's slightly... Not impressive, but I'm very happy about it.
1: Okay.
0: Um, so I've been getting physio for my chest for a while because uh, I ruined something in my upper chest. I don't know how, but it did. Uh, and now I can slowly do bench press again. So I've been told to start at start like 10s. And this week I did three sets of 15s. And it was only sore. It didn't hurt like hell, which was crazy good. Uh, So just 50 more pounds to go to go back to my normal. That was a year ago. Uh, But until then, uh, slow, slow progress, slow and steady doesn't kill me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And um, yeah, uh, another thing I'm sort of proud of on my, what I did better was I was helping my, uh, senior dev with debugging something today. And this just reaffirms my random blind belief in me that I'm just really good at debugging. I'm just like, I just, I have a talent for it and I just seem to get it. Um, so today we were debugging some issue that was happening. That was the classic, this runs on my machine, but not in the pipeline or on the server. Um, and the solution for it, which <laughs> I hate, but it made perfect sense, uh, was to wait for a minute and then try the thing. That was it. I, we we put sleep sixty in the script, and it's repeatedly working well. Uh, the root cause is we're we're running some scripts on checking some SSH agent configurations, um, and then to before that we're like, hey EC2, are you ready? Uh, So we do a EC2 instance OK check and then if it is, then we try the SSH test. The problem is EC2 OK checks are very premature. They're just like the instance spun up, the kernel loaded, things are fine. You can run LS on it. But all the background processes still haven't spun up quite yet, which also gets delayed when it's not your local, but a cloud server machine. And depending on the fleet and the server rack it's assigned to, those things might have a longer delay. So in an ideal scenario, what you would do is say, Hey, if the test fails retry again, or some sort of like two or three retries or wait for a little while and retry, Um, or listen for the specific SSH agent thing you're waiting for, wait for the process to spin up, then run the thing, Uh, which we were able to debug because what we did was you can add breakpoints to uh, code builder and uh you go if we put a breakpoint we go in and we manually run the script things work so I'm like the only thing that's different here is just the pause so let's add the pause and he was just like that's not going to work it's the same thing if i run it from my local it still spins up a ec2 instance if it runs on the cloud it's still an ec2 instance and i like, just trust me on this and we did, and it worked, and I feel like
1: a freaking genius. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I hate that you introduced this with "I'm really good at this thing," and then the detail was, yeah, adding a weight command. Yeah, that's but that, hurts. that hurts. Knowing
0: where to add the weight command and why was the million-dollar question, because. Mm-hmm that's how I was able to convince my senior dev and add a use case for it uh, on how to fix it uh, because he's been trying for like a day or two where he's just like, I can't seem to replicate this or figure this out. And I'm just like, just try this. Uh, <laughs> so it's not the size of the debugging statement. It's how you use it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, there you go. Lesson learned, I guess.
0: (laughs) Anyways, I just felt pretty good about it. Um, (sighs) Even though it was small and dumb, uh, I thought it was just like, I was like, this is how it is, though. When you (laughs) get to certain (laughs) levels, it do be that way. You're like, I've done everything correctly. Things aren't working and they're not working because of some small, stupid gap or race condition you probably ignored or took for granted. Um, So kids, always check your process tables. Uh, to know what's going on um, yeah so that was what I did better uh, and then what I'm going to be doing better or what I've been trying to do better at uh, is still still going strong with the postings uh, really enjoying now curating some content still haven't put any time into video I really ought to do that I'm just I just can't seem to summon enough energy to be like go on Google and be like best video editing software and like sit through some clip and edit it out, which is going to be irrelevant from now on because we're not even doing YouTube clips anymore. Mm-hmm. So I may have to just find proper, like good audio bites and then put some sort of like thing on it. Um, create some reels. Uh, yeah. And yeah, meditation going strong. One day I did it, but I didn't do it on the app. So my re- streak has been reset, which kind of sucked. Uh, but I'm just like, you know what, that's fine. That's not the goal of the meditation. It would have been nice to look at it and be like, yeah, I have hit a certain number of days, um, but I'm not going to let that bring me down, which makes me think that meditation is actually working because previously I would have freaked out about that.
1: It's probably better <laughs> to lose the streak fairly early on. Otherwise you end up with that's true 672 days on Duolingo mm-hmm. and you don't know why you're doing it anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> totally fair. <laughs> uh still mad you didn't do 666. Um, I, well, I
1: did. I was Oh yeah, you didn't screenshot it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So life just do be that way uh sometimes. But yeah, overall I think things are good. Uh I was actually like I had this it's crazy the timing on things, how it works out, but before you told me this today off like the dopamine hit in the morning and then that I had this thought yesterday being like, maybe I should add like some activities in the middle and the end of the workday to give me a little boost. So my energy sort of like consistent throughout the day and not crashing as the day goes on. Uh, so my brain was just like, drink more caffeine, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) which which I was like, maybe I'll go back to drinking more tea or something. Uh, but Spreading things out sounds like a more healthier way to deal with this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah we <laughs> we had a really big peak and now it's really low. So let's just upper our way to baseline.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Build more caffeine tolerance before you know it. I'm like shooting enough like pre-workout to kill a small giraffe or something. And it's good. It's good just to just to go rep those 15 pounds. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I guess there's somewhere, I guess.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. How, how's yours?
1: So I did do more stretching. I was very proud of myself for that. Cause I said I was gonna, and I actually did.
0: Damn. So that's,
1: that's nice. I, oh, something else I said I was going to do that I did was I dropped out of some interview processes for companies that were taking a bunch of my time and were clearly not the right fit uh, for what I was looking for. So that was a load off my mind and let's see, uh, there's this company that you and I used to work at and I I had a bunch of clothes uh, from them and now I don't. So that was good. Mm. I got rid of that and okay, I'll I'll just go with the diet one because that won't take too long. I have been sticking to my diet, so as I mentioned, I've been using Macrofactor. not really using any of their recommendations other than gradually increasing my calories. So I already knew roughly what I was going to do in order to start dropping weight again because I've done this so many times. But their estimate for how much I could probably eat and lose weight was substantially higher than what I was eating. And I figured somewhere in between was probably accurate. Like realistically, they just overestimated my caloric expenditure based on me Uh, answering questions inaccurately like I probably need to just put a Slightly lower level of activity or something based on my job So I probably just make it overestimate that but eventually it'll match up because it's been knocking I think over the first week it knocked 60 or so calories off of my estimated expenditure and it Chips away a few more each day until things kind of make sense based on what my my weight's doing but the reason I wanted to mention it is because I feel great so I alluded to it earlier uh, that there are confounding variables. Like I am not eating all that much rice, uh, and I'm eating another pound of veggies to stay full, and just less food in general. But I'm also I've also lost like three ish pounds in the first couple weeks. So. I don't know if it's that, I don't know if it's the food changes, but anyway, been feeling good. So having more energy despite eating less has been nice. And related to food, I made sushi for the first time on Sunday. So I went out and I got like a proper uh, knife because the only knife I had, I got from Value Village and it could barely cut anything. And I realized if I tried to cut sushi with this, it would just mash it and not, not actually cut it. So finally, after four and a half years of living here, I now own a cutting board and a proper knife. So, Damn. heck yeah. Uh, and it was a lot of work, but it was also a lot of fun. I just put some YouTube videos on for entertainment, rolled up some sushi, made way too much. So it turns out I, w- I wanted to get sashimi grade tuna. So I went to this place in Victoria, finest at sea, I was like, can you give me some tuna, sashimi-grade tuna and salmon? And they didn't ask me how much I wanted, they just had it pre-packaged. So they gave me, well they asked me the salmon, they're like, do you want a big, like a lot of salmon or a small amount? And I was like, just give me a small amount of salmon. So they did, and then they just gave me the tuna. And I don't know if it's the only size they sell, but it was 600 grams of tuna. So this was a lot of tuna, so I was, I, and, they're like, you, we recommend that once you've opened it, you eat it all within the first 24 hours. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I made a ton of sushi the first day because I made two dry cups of rice. Otherwise, uh, it's not recommended that you make less than that because it'll just burn in my rice cooker. Um, but I did do the whole thing like, rinsing the rice out a bunch till it ran clear and letting it soak in the water and then cook and then sit in the rice cooker afterwards and I made the, uh, The liquid that you blend in or that you mix in with the rice vinegar and salt and sugar and all that. So I did the whole thing and it was delicious. But it did take me multiple hours to eat because I just keep spreading it out because I just made so much. Uh, And then the next day I just had a bunch of tuna sashimi and it was very good. So I was a big fan of all that. I'll definitely do it again. But hopefully next time I can get some other people involved uh, Mm. to make it a bit more fun. And that way there can be more... Uh, or more mouths to feed as opposed to just me. Um, But, yeah, it was a good experience, so I'm going to do it again at some point. I uh, have, for doing better, or do better, I will keep interviewing. I have a couple coming up this week, and we'll see how those go. If nothing else, it can be good practice, because I haven't interviewed in a while. Mm -hmm. And keep sticking to the diet, and I'm going to, right, I need to get, do a quick uh, note on what the, the specifics are of this whole dopamine thing. So as I mentioned, one of the things that the Huberman Lab podcast described was not stacking things together that increased dopamine, so, and randomizing it. So one of the things that I'll probably do is try to not play video games and have caffeine and work out all together. It will be like, you can essentially at least initially maybe starting next week or something just pick two it's like video games and then the gym or pre-workout and then the gym and then video games later in the day something like that uh sticking with cold showers those are fine he actually talks specifically about cold showers in the podcast uh and also because i don't get a lot of food and i'm dieting anyway i'm not worried about avoiding foods i enjoy because i i don't eat particularly like indulgent foods as it is. My idea of a delicious food is a bowl of oatmeal, so I'm not too worried about that. Uh, But the main thing will be spreading things out and not doing anything that's too crazy. Also, I'll leave, I started uh, last week. I think a lot of this, sort of like you mentioned, was just sort of intuitively coming to each of us. Um, I had my phone on do not disturb throughout the whole day, but now I'll actually put it away um, while I work so that I can't get bored and pick it up. I uh, even Because I find my phone boring, but I'll still pick it up if I'm bored while test case run or something. Um, and I'll leave it, either either leave it at home or just not listen to anything for the next week at the gym. I want to listen to stuff at the gym, but I figure it's not gonna kill me if I just don't listen to something for a week at the gym. So I'll give, give it a shot, see how it goes. And, uh, you know, those
0: people are psychopaths, right? The one who work out without any music.
1: Yeah. I just, I've been really missing whatever it takes to bring back the feeling where I really enjoy being at the gym. Mm. Uh, I don't know that I'll ever get back to the point where I care as much as I used to. And I miss that. Like I used to really get excited about getting, uh, my lifts up. Like, oh, I hate a deadlift PR, I'm so hyped, or I was really motivated to do that. But I was in a relationship where she and I were both very much into lifting, and we both followed people on Instagram who were lifters, and into that whole culture, my friends at the gym, uh, most of my friends were at the gym that I went to in university, so it was all kind of a thing, and uh, yeah, it's just hard to be as motivated by that, but... Occasionally, I catch glimpses of it where I'm really into my workout, and I would like to have that more frequently. So, mm. whatever I can to reconnect with that.
0: Have that you heard of goal. CrossFit?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's my outlet. Okay. okay. But, uh, yeah, that, those are my my most notable do better's.
0: Yeah. Pretty good. I'm going to look forward to some updates. What I wanted to add, but I, but I haven't been able to add is I wanted to allocate a time every day to do nothing. I wanted to be bored, no stimulations, no TV, not even meditating, not even like observing a breath. Just sit there and either watch at the clock slowly move or I don't know, read the terms and conditions of some website. Something incredibly mind-numbingly boring so that my mind like restarts or reboots or something. Um, But I haven't been able to like think or put it in my schedule so far. Uh, But it's in the back of my head. So if I do it, I will update on how it goes because I was reading about something where the podcasters, I was reading a thing that somebody I listened to on podcast is and he also writes. Uh, and he was just like, yeah, our brains are so constantly like stimulated that in, when we were kids and we're bored, we think of things and we're creative and stuff. So there is a pretty good study saying being like if you bore yourself, your creativity could actually increase. So it's not a very good study. There's not a lot of data. But I like <laughs> the premise. so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to sh- do it.
1: Yeah, I have some ideas for things I used to do that I just over the last year and a half fell out of habits of doing. Uh, So I know these are all things I can get back to. Uh, It's just, it's more or less things have gradually degraded less so than it's an actual problem that can't be solved. All solvable problems. I just essentially need to remember what I was like in 2019 and and go from there. Well,
0: tune in more to listen how 2019 Nathan was like. Because mm-hmm. I met him.
1: <laughs> it's true. You were there. <laughs> he was the worst. <laughs> the, he was fine. He just
0: worked at a company that drained all of his soul. But uh, he was—he was pretty neat. <laughs> you could tell it was twenty nineteen Nathan because of the way he was. Nathan in twenty nineteen.
1: Yeah. Cool. Thanks yeah. for listening, everybody.
0: Yeah, come back. Come back again for some other ranks. Bye.